This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this week's MG Car Club podcast, we meet Paul Gehring to talk about his family MGTA and some top tips from petrol heads welcomed on touring your MG abroad. The MG Car Club podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the MG Car Club podcast, keeping the MG community in touch worldwide. Hope you're keeping safe and well. I'm Wayne Scott. Great to have you listening and always great to hear from you as well. You can get in touch with us really easily on this podcast by using the contact form at mgpodcast.uk and you can leave a voicemail for us there as well. It's always great to hear from you. Uh, It was great to hear from Lawrence Wood who dropped us a message. A great reaction, by the way, to the Ken Costello story that we shared on the last episode of the podcast. And Lawrence Wood says, Hello, gents, just heard your podcast, which mentioned the Costello story. Do you mind if I put a link on my website, mgcostello.com? Sounds like the place to go to check out more of the story. I think that many in the Costello community would like to hear if, like me, uh, they were not aware of the MG Car Club podcast before. It's informative and reiterates the message that it was Ken, Ken Costello, who got there first in terms of V8 development. Well, it's our pleasure, Lawrence, and uh, feel free to share it far and wide. Anyone who's listening, if you think that your friends would enjoy the MG Car Club podcast, spread the word. As many people as we get on board, the better. Everyone's welcome here. Hello to David Barry as well, uh, who picked up on a comment that uh, Adam made about MGs in Ireland. Says, uh, hi guys, you aired my last email on which Adam commented that when he visited Ireland, he'd not seen many MGs. In my village and nearby, there are the following. A PB, a YT Tourer, a TD, an MGA, an MGB GT and several MGB Roadsters. And I own an MGB V8 Roadster and an MGC GT. Sounds like it's an absolute hotbed for MG fans. David says, an interesting aside, one of the Roadsters is in the local MG main dealer showroom alongside the range of new MG cars. And the Roadster belongs to a neighbour who is a director of the company which holds the local MG franchise. And this company was founded in 1810 yep 1810 and not 1910 amazing Uh, he's enjoying the podcast and great to hear from you david barry and uh, also a big hello to richard fairclough also really interested in the costello story he says my costello elvis is a 1971 roadster and it's 50 this year not bad for a car that mg said wasn't possible to make absolutely And hello to Rob Hall as well. Reminding me that I can't count, but that's great. Thanks to all of you for your messages. Keep them coming in here on the MG Car Club podcast. As I say, always great to hear from you. You can use the contact form at mgpodcast.uk to tell us all about you and your MGs. Now, did you attend the MG Car Club AGM? Well, if you missed it, you can log in if you're a club member and watch it all over again within the video player on the website's members area. That's mgcc.co.uk. So great to see so many people joining the meeting and from every corner of the world as well. So if you did miss it, you can watch it again via mgcc.co.uk. Just log into the members area and you'll find the video available there. And I should just flag up the news pages at mgcc.co.uk. 
because on there at the moment you'll not only find loads of MG Motor news as they continue to build their dealer network across the UK and also supply electric vehicles to the front line in the battle against COVID-19, but also important announcements relating to MG Car Club events and MG Live all up on the news pages of mgcc.co.uk. Click on the news button there for the very latest and we'll of course share some of those stories in more detail here on the podcast in the coming weeks. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go. UK, sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Now, I'm moving swiftly on because we have ahead of us a fantastic guest, and I want to spend as much time with him as possible because not only are we going to find out about his love affair with a very special MGTA to his family, but also we have tips for beginners and experienced MG travellers alike on how to plan a trip or a holiday across Europe in your MG. And since we can't go anywhere or do anything at the moment, it's an ideal opportunity to take the time to prepare cars, learn about potential destinations, and also plan those journeys of a lifetime ready for when travelling can resume. So our guest is a serial car fanatic and a collector and one of the team behind the website petrolheadswelcome.com, which aims to provide a way of ensuring that when you travel, your car is always safe and secure. Paul's got loads of great tips, loads of brilliant hints on travelling abroad with your MG. So uh, let's meet him. Welcome to the MG Car Club podcast, Paul Gehring. Hiya, Paul. Hello, Wayne. Nice to hear from you. We do live in weird times, of course, as we all know, and I'm not going to use the word unprecedented, but it's about the only word we have in the vocabulary to describe it at the moment. Before we get on to Petrolhead's welcome and the great help that you're offering people to take their historic vehicles abroad and on longer trips, let's just find out a little bit more about your cars and your family history, because there are significant MGs in your family history of Petrolhead's-ness, isn't there? Yeah, there are. I mean, I've, uh, I, I grew up in a, in a family where cars were an important part. Um, and uh, we, had, we had sort of three, three family interests. We were very lucky with hobbies. The three interests were, were cars, now classic and vintage, um, classic, classic boats and horses. So all, all, were, all were different forms of transport in, in, in different ways, but all, all great, uh, created great fun for the family. And um, over time, I migrated to, uh, to the car element more and more, and that's, uh, that's what focuses, uh, is the focus of my hobbies and things today. So, yes, I, I lost my dear old dad a few years ago, unfortunately, but um, the family has kept, uh, kept his cars, and there were, there were three cars in his collection uh, that, that, that uh, saw, saw um, the most time with him. One, one is, uh, is a 1930s MGTA, which... Um, Many, we've uh, we've had for a long, long time, and in fact, my nephew, my father's uh, grandson, um, learned to drive in that when he was seven, sitting on his on his grandfather's knee around the paddocks at home. Um, and my father's competed in that, driven it all over France on holidays, and and we still have it today. 
Um, and my mother, even in these, uh, in, in these, as you say, unprecedented times, is doing the supermarket run in her 1969 MGB. Um, and uh, because she decided it's better to exercise that on her weekly run than it is her modern car because she doesn't want the battery to go flat and it not to work clearly. So you can see it's a bit ingrained. The final car in, uh, that, that was part of his collection was um, a Mark II Jag, a 3.8-litre Mark II Jag that we've had almost from new. Um, and I've recently taken, taken that car on. Um, and it's beautiful to have a car which has not been through the restoration workshop, but is, it, it is absolutely, as Sir William Lyons put it together, um, obviously serviced and maintained throughout its life, but no major restoration, and that's a lovely thing. But my, my interest more and more is moving towards the vintage scene, and um, we are doing, uh, a, a sub subject to vaccination as being allowed to post-COVID, um, I'm doing some uh, some one-day regularity events with my mother in the TA this year, so uh, for a bit of fun. So, yes, it's uh, it's 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 ingrained in us for sure. But those those three cars are, are part of our wider collection of, of motor cars, but, uh, but but very important to us. Well, they are a phenomenal little car, the TAs, because well, they replaced the PB in 1936 at a time when. Uh, the Second World War was just upon us at a time when MG was starting to make its name around the world for their motorsport, especially at Le Mans and in the Alpine rallies. And then it was really in the post-war period, once those cars had been around for quite a number of years, that those little TAs, right the way through to the TCs that followed them, gave MG really its big break and it made it a household name around the world because, of course, American servicemen who were brought into the UK to serve during the Second World War saw all these little TAs and, and took them back to America because at that time they didn't have any little sports cars like that over there. And that was really what opened up the export markets for so many different British sports cars, wasn't it? Absolutely. And um, it's interesting that the, the TA, I believe, is, uh, is the only one of the mark which is eligible for the VSCC meets because it's got the pre-XPAG engine. And uh, Dad was quite proud about that and was, was doing, uh, you know, round the cones and uh, all sorts of all, all tests and all sorts of things in that little car. And it, it certainly demonstrated to me that you don't need huge amounts of horsepower to have an awful lot of fun. Um, and um, certainly our, our nephew learning to drive that with uh, and learning what double declutching was all about and indeed for me too um, I, I think and the, the whole concept of driving those cars they are a bit like a grasshopper on, on a pair of reins and you learn a lot about, about looking ahead and um, looking at greasy surfaces because the, the tires are, are not even as wide as a modern motorbike. So you, it teaches you a lot, although at a lower speed, it teaches you a lot, I think, about road positioning and, and looking further on down the road. And it uh, just creates an awful lot of fun. You don't have to be going very quickly to have a lot of fun in those cars. Well, of course, uh, a guy called Alan Tomlinson won in 1939 in Australia at the Grand Prix there in a TA that he'd modified for for racing. So they definitely started life with a motorsport background. But it's, isn't it amazing that those cars survive at all? They only made just over 3,000 TAs. And when you consider that most of the cars that went into the Second World War were crushed or broken up to use for metal supplies, if they were at all old or broken in any way, isn't it amazing that we've got those cars the other side of that great cull uh, that happened during World War II and that we can still enjoy them today? It's quite a thing. Absolutely. I mean, um, 
we haven't got it written down, but the, the, the sort of word of mouth history that was passed to Dad when he bought this car suggested that, like a few, it was living in an agricultural area and it got, it got pushed in a shed out of the way and kind of forgotten in the war years when petrol was rationed. Um, and and that, that enabled it to survive. And, of course, motoring or the development of the motor car effectively stopped throughout the war years. And therefore, you know, come, come the end of the war, you were getting into cars which were 10 plus years old. But that's what you had and that's what they were. And, and, um, and that, you know, I think that helped them to, to survive. And I think sports cars generally have done better um, in, in all areas of, mo- of motoring than, than saloons, sadly, and um, you know because of the, open, uh, the you know the whole the whole impact of having an open air motoring and so on has has always has always been more attractive. And uh, although there are some great saloon cars from all, all eras, but th- I think that's that's kind of helped the TA survive. Mm. Well, they were a bit of technology really when they were launched in 1936, because of course they had hydraulic brakes, which the PB didn't have. It also had synchromatic on the top two ratios in the gearbox there but they did have a few of the old idiosyncrasies didn't they really in the sense that um, I think they still have don't they have the cork clutches running in oil still the the TAs yes it does it's yeah. a very light clutch and you've got to be care- you've got to be careful with it and of course um, it uh, it has a worm and peg steering um, so you even when it's well looked after and well set up it, it's 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 um there's, there's, there's a reasonable amount of play in it so you're kind of guiding it down the road i would say more than the than the actual razor sharp steering that we've all got used to today and even though the brakes are hydraulic you you've got to push them fairly hard but they do stop and um, but that that's for sure and you learn a lot about using the the torque band and and um, not changing gear for the sake of it, which we we kind of kind of can in in modern cars. Um, but it's uh, all all the, all the same an enjoyable experience. And uh, you know the uh, the weather weather weatherproofing's um, you know a bit like a colander really. Water finds its way in all over the place. But you know you. you uh, they, they, you know, it's all about having the right, the right weather protection for the right weather, and uh, it's, uh, it still makes for an enjoyable time for sure. Beautiful. Well, they are, of course, a steel body, but underneath that steel is still the good old ash frame uh, that supports all of that. Um, but they're lovely, aren't they? They've got a little bit of storage behind the bench seat there. You can chuck your luggage in there and jump on the bench seat and shoot off down a B road pretending that you're in the 1930s. Fantastic experience, even on today's mad roads. Dad fitted a, 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 a luggage rack over the rear wheel on the on, uh, at the back, so they... They piled uh, they piled a couple of soft soft bags on on there, and when they uh, they were quite well organised doing long distance tours, they 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 sent on ahead some luggage and therefore could ro- rotate rotate the clothing as the as on on route, which um, meant that the car was never uh, over, over full. Um, because uh, you know t- touring, you know you require a, a spares a spares kit and you require a tool a tool bag. Although there's a really nice um, toolbox on, uh, in the engine bay that the car's always had, so you've got the basic tool set in there. Um, but not not an over not not overly amount of room for for clothing and waterproof clothing and so on. So uh, you, you know it's a case of um, planning planning ahead and making the best of what you have, depending on whether it's it's cold and wet or whether it's boiling hot sunshine. But it's uh, you know squirting down the D roads. In fact, touring in France now in that car is probably a nicer experience than even when my parents went because they've got a reduced speed limit now on D roads and things out there of about 50 miles an hour, 80 kilometres an hour. And that car cruises very pleasantly at that all day. So, and with the with the uh, 
the, the lower traffic limits by and large in the, in the rural areas in France, it actually does not have a problem keeping up with traffic, would you believe, in the, even though it's 1936? Well, a lot of people would be horrified at the thought of travelling through Europe and you know, going on long journeys using a vintage car. But the thing about the MGTA was, you've got to remember the car that it followed. It was the PB. And those of you who regularly listen to this podcast will remember the interview we had with Jonathan Toolman about the Cream Cracker Trials cars. You know, MG made these cars rugged. They made them hard and tough. And they use trialing as a way of testing and proving the cars. And that still holds today. They are rugged little cars, despite their vintage, aren't they? They are. I mean, I was brought up, my, my, my father was a, was a veterinary surgeon and was a, was a specialist surgeon at that. And his, his um, mantra to us as kids always was to properly prepare. And he said, you know, you wouldn't want to be going into an operation if you weren't properly scrubbed and got all the relevant tools together and knew what knew and, and kind of had, uh, had worked out what the likelihood of, of being faced with a particular issue was. And he said, um, motoring should be treated the same way. And he, he, he got across to us as early age, Wayne, that, that preparation could be as much fun as the journey itself. And whilst a lot of people quote these days that it's all about the journey, um, you know, fine it is in, in all sorts of aspects of life. But actually the, the preparation should be uh, and can be as much an integral part. And, and um, you know, this little car we've had for many, many years now. And, um, yeah, my, my dad was always one for... Uh, whether it was a, a weekend away or, or three weeks touring in, in France, it was a, it was about you know having the wheels off and you know you might have checked it even only three or four weeks ago, but it's well worth checking again. And he was all about making sure that the event itself was everything you wanted it to be, and you weren't you weren't breaking down en route because you hadn't done your preparation. And I think pe- people perceive that older cars you know, neat, aren't overly reliable. Well, they're not as reliable as a, as a brand new car out of the box today because we've got 100 years of worth of motoring that, that's helped technology. But the basics can, which is what cars fail on very often, so points and plugs and electrical or a hose split, wheel bearings playing up, you know, these things can be checked before the journey. And it actually then means that, um, you know, the whole, the whole trip is, is as you want it to be, as opposed to being um, roadside with, um, you know, your, uh, your other half stood about in a way, in, in a coat, you know, looking at you as if to say, you know, why, did, why are we in this blimming car? And, uh, and the preparation can negate that. And certainly we've been touching wood here. We've been very lucky over the years in vintage cars that, you know, um, you get the unforeseen thing like a blowout or something because you hit some debris on the road. But by and large, they, they are they are amazingly reliable. And we've always found that they're better for regular driving, too, and uh, not laying up for months on time. But uh, I know this year is different. But actually using the car um, and uh, and looking after the, flu- the lubricants and the fluid changes make, makes for a better experience. Well, I know that you practice what you preach, and I've seen the results of your preparation many times. We've enjoyed rallies across Europe together. We've even been to Le Mans Classic and competed in a team that I was running the PR for at the time. So uh, Paul is a trusted man in such things as preparation. Interesting to get an insight as to where that sort of ethos came from. But it's one that you're sharing with others now through Petrol Heads Welcome and helping others to travel further in their classic cars and this is ideal for us as mg fans because mgs are perfectly placed for touring across europe and petrol heads welcome can help can't it paul explain the concept behind this yeah um i've um 
My wife and I, Jan, we've been touring uh, in Europe since uh, 1989 was our first trip when we were in a, in a, in a TR6. And um, my father was then again overseeing the preparation of that car and explaining that uh, newly married and all that, we, uh, it wouldn't do me any favours if we spent more time parked up on the side of the road with the bonnet open than, uh, than actually enjoying the scenery and the trip we were doing. And... Um, so we've been touring for a long for a long time and in the early days you know it was almost always under canvas because uh, that was the state of our budgetary situation so we were finding campsites in france and those you didn't always need to book in those days and every every commune had a campsite um, and uh, you know that that just worked perfectly so tent tent in the boot and and the way you go um, but we, over time, we've gone further afield and we've put more effort into the planning and preparation. And um, it, came, it came to us three or four years ago um, that um, perhaps whilst there are lots of good touring companies and there are lots of advantages at times in touring um, in, in, in a group of like-minded uh, petrol heads, it's also nice to maybe venture out either as a couple or as a two or three cars and do your own thing. And one of the things as as as, the, as our as our cars sort of in, in, increase maybe in in value, I was beginning to think twice about where where we might leave them and getting to venues sometimes where the car park was detached from the hotel or the um, or, or and, and across the you know across the road or even ending up parking in a public car park overnight, and you're just wondering about the security of your your uh, your lovely motor car, and. It got us thinking about the concept of, well, why don't we try and help other like-minded uh, petrolheads? So petrolheads welcome basically list venues from um, bed and breakfast through to all sorts of hotels uh, and across, um, primarily across U the, the UK and Europe, it has to be said, um, where those hotels or venues are on there primarily because the overnight accommodation for the car is absolutely secure. So um, no speed humps for those of you who have got cars with low, low exhaust. Um, the fact that some have got, over, some have got covered um, parking, uh, but they've all got secure on-site parking, um, even if it's no more than a, than a, than a barrier. Um, and it was all about making sure that whilst you can enjoy uh, the bar and the restaurant, and there are plenty of other sites that, that, um, that, that will help you choose hotels for, for those normal sort of creature comforts. Very few of them ever list anything to do with the parking. And those of us who enjoy our cars, we want to make sure they're there in the condition in the morning that we left them the night before. So Petrohead's Welcome is a free, is a free to use um, website that actually lists um, these venues. Um, so if you're doing your preparation and you're looking to do a road trip, whether it be uh, to an, an event like Angoulême or Le Mans Classic or the Po Historique um, or further afield, or you're simply wanting to tour in France, maybe uh, the Dordogne is a great area for classic cars and the scenery is fantastic. Whatever, whatever it is you may, want, you, you may be looking at to, uh, to put together as a trip, particularly after, after all this time where we've been cooped up at home, Petronas Welcome is a website that you can choose venues um, and to fit your budget, but everyone is all about the security of your car. And that, that, that in essentially, Wayne, is, is it. So we decided, having, having been, uh, uh, been able to, to spend a lot of time touring Europe over the last sort of 25, 30 years, that we would put down our own 
venues onto this website, places that we have stayed. And um, there's a, a group of our close friends we, we, got, uh, we, we got embroiled into this same activity. So they've published theirs, and we decided with, a, with another member who's a, who's a good IT geek, um, could we put this into a website format and then um, publish it to the wider to the wider world? So there's no there's no there's no fee to join. There's a list of venues. Um, you can book them through Booking.com, and uh, it's simply there as a tool so to aid classic cars, classic car owners to take their cars further afield, and uh, and to enjoy them for what they are um, while we can. Well, I know it's a fantastic resource, even just beyond finding good places to park overnight, because some of these hotels have actually really taken the petrol heads welcome idea to heart, haven't they? And I know that you went out to France and uh, experienced the Bon Roots uh, guys' packages, and some of these hotels are actually putting on uh, driving packages and driving routes and activities for you to do with your classic when you actually get there, aren't they? Yeah, well, I mean, it's amazing how, as you say, how some of the venues have responded to to our approach. So we've we've gone back to venues and said, um, you know, we stayed with you some years ago. Uh, we found we found you particularly accommodating, you know, for us us as car nuts. Um, and we've listed you on our website, and uh, we hope that we can encourage more car lovers to come. And they've responded uh, in very positive ways. And Bon Roots, as an example, is actually um, has got a jeet. So a lovely appointed jeep down a little country lane, well off the beaten track, um, beautiful location. Um, and they, they have got um, fantastic facilities. There's a ramp in, their, in, in the workshop. There's uh, car cleaning facilities there that you're allowed to use. Um, and they've, they, are, they too are classic car nuts. In fact, when we were there, they had two of their own classic cars down there in France with them for the summer season. So they live... Uh, a few hundred meters further up the lane in, in their own jeet, and they rent a second jeet out to the likes of you and I. Um, and they they come up with about uh, half a dozen routes um, and suggested venues to go to visit during the day's motoring, so little bars and restaurants for a bit of lunch, and um, historic historical um, uh, places of interest to visit. Um, and they picked out some great, some great bits of road, and it was all pre-mapped out. So they gave you a, effectively a map that you could follow for the day. And if the worst came to the worst, you could ring them because um, they knew, if you stayed on route, they knew where where you were, and they'd come and help. And it just made for a, a great, a, a great trip. So yeah, we spent, uh, we spent, I think we spent four nights there in 2019 on a, as part of a wider, a wider trip in. In, in southern France and it was just fantastic so yes people have really taken it to heart now a lot of people will be really inspired by the sort of trips that you're talking about but I know because they get in touch with us here on the show that there is a lot of nervousness around taking classics abroad and in particular amongst those who might be new to classic car ownership or who've never tried venturing abroad uh, with them before now I know there's a few more extra complications with covid and brexit and we'll come to them in just a moment but from a car preparation point of view just share some of the tips that you could give to people who might be nervous about going over to france in their mgb for whatever reason okay um the first i would say is that um you know not all classic car owners are are, are um 
uh, mechanics, anything, anything like, and nor, nor should they be. So I, I think the, the first starter for 10 is if you're not a hands-on person with your, with your own car, that's absolutely fine. You need, to, you need to build up a rapport and a relationship with, a, with a, uh, a, a garage that has the skills and the knowledge for your era of motor car. Um, and be open with them about what it is you're doing and, and where you're where you'll go and what what you intend to do, uh, where you're going and how long you're going for. So, um, an end to end an end to end service, you know, is is crucial. I mean, very very often our, our events are certainly between two and four thousand miles in length on in, in, as, a, as a typical trip. So, um, you know, car preparation is vital. So. Um, you know, if you're not doing it yourself, then then get get some professional help. But um, in some in, in summary, um, you know, all the all all the typical things. So, quite, you know, is the radiator in good order? Is the are all the pipe work is the pipe working good order and the cooling system working? Um, you know, has the car has the car had its, all all its fluids changed, including brake fluid? You know, pe- people sometimes forget a bit about brake fluid. Brake fluid in classic cars. Be, it's hydroscopic, and whether the car's doing anything or not, therefore it, it attracts moisture, and moisture creates rust, and rust creates problems in, in calipers working or drum brakes working. And it's important that uh, that, that is done, um, you know, certainly biannually. We, we do ours biannually in all the cars, whether they've done very many miles or not. You know, a litre of fluid is 10, 15 quid. It's not the end of the world. So, um, and our... Our, our mantra has always been picked up from my father is that there, wherever you go in the world, there are plenty of garages and, and very often people who, are, who will help you and assist. The limiting factor may be, depending on the mark of, of car you're, you're taking, is actually the local availability of spares. So um, his ethos, which I've taken on, is basically anything that, anything that rotates or that, that is changeable on the side of the road in, in inverted commas, ought to be in the boot. So when we say things like that, um, we mean um, wheel bearings, for example. <clears throat> we've, had, we've had a situation there where we have had um, seals going, brake calipers coming out of the Alps. Maybe we were being a, a, little, a little excited in terms of our down, downhill uh, runs and caused the brakes to get a bit warm. But we had a set of, um, we, ha- we found a garage, unfortunately in the boot, for, that was in an E-type Jag, we had a set of caliper brake seals, which are, are not overly expensive and, and, are, and, and last for years in a sealed bag. And we found a garage and um, you know, within three or four hours, the calipers had been repaired and we were um, back, on our, back on our road, on the road again. So it's about having those sort of hoses, spare set of hoses. It's about having, um, there are lots of really good modern um, adhesives and compounds. So we carry these compounds where they come in a tube, two different colored materials, pull, snap a piece off, rub it in your hands. We've done temporary repairs on a radiator where we've just been hit by a stone um, and we've got a small hole in the radiator. Um, in fact, when you'll remember that on a certain rally we were part of last year with a TR where we put a stone and we had to do exactly that um, to keep ourselves going on the liaise, pressure liaise. So, um, but having that in the boot meant that we could uh, we could we could patch and, until we could get home. So hoses, break, um, you know, set of plugs, points if the car's still on points, condenser, water pump if it's uh, if it's something that is not too difficult to do. Um, but certainly a spare set of, di- of um, disc pads and caliper seals and maybe a wheel cylinder. And okay, it, it all might end up to being you know 100, 200 pounds worth in a in a in a box in the boot. 
but it could it, it saves you having the holiday ruined. And um, you know, if it's a modern VW or, or a Skoda or whatever, then the chances are that there's a dealer network in France or Germany, and you can get relayed there, and the parts will be off on the shelf. It may not be the case if you're in your MGB. So it's that sort of thing that we do. And I'm, I'm, um, as I said when I started, I. I said I, I love the preparations part of the trips. I'm, I'm fortunate that I have the garage here at home and I have a pretty good knowledge of the cars that we have because we've owned them for a long time. And, uh, and I tend to do that, that bit myself. But you know, it doesn't mean that uh, you can't have a great, enjoyable trip, um, even if that's not your, your bag. But um, finally, I would say on that front that do some runs here before you go. So um, one of the things that catches older cars out maybe is overheating. Um, and um, you know, it's nothing. Actually, it's better to be caught at home in a bit of a traffic jam and seeing that the car is quite happy in summer temperatures before you find yourself in the south of France. Or you know, um, upgrades. We we've done away with mechanical fans on our cars, rightly or wrongly, and they they're all running electric fans now. Um, indeed, the same as all modern cars do, and that that just gives added peace of mind. So it's that sort of thing, Wayne. Well, of course, having those parts is one thing, but knowing how to fit them is quite another. And I guess one of the top tips we can give people is to just, if they're not familiar with fitting rotor arms or changing wheel bearings on the side of the road, is to use the resources that are available to you through the MG Car Club just to learn those basic skills. And you can find all sorts of advice within the MG Car Club through Safety Fast magazine or indeed through the centres and registers as all part of your membership of this great club that will help you to learn those basic skills that will give you the confidence to hit the road and travel a little bit further afield in your MG one of the many advantages of membership of the MG Car Club. Um, and I think the other takeaway from what you're saying there, Paul, is that, yes, take all the small bits that you can easily do in the boot, but don't bother weighing the car down with big components that you're not really realistically going to be able to change on the roadside. Don't bother taking bell housings and clutch kits and all that kind of stuff, because realistically, you're not going to be able to do it. And actually, you can get them shipped over from the UK fairly reasonably, can't you? Absolutely. I mean, we are we're very, I think by and large in the classic car world, we're, we're immensely well serviced by the professional um, suppliers for all marks. And that you can get you can get these bits shipped next day. I mean, I had a I had a great story. I've got a I've got a friend of mine who's uh, who's been um, lucky enough to participate in the the Peking Paris Rally um, in, a, in a pre-war Bentley, and uh, rang up the Bentley specialist, and DHL shipped the parts to Mongolia in 48 hours. Um, you know, so, so yes, we're very, very lucky these days that the world can be quite a small place if you have a problem. But, but if it's a simple item, and very often cars are let down for that £10 item, um, you know, it's things like that that, that, can, that can cause problems. I mean, we, we, carry a, we carry a spare alternator in the boot, uh, for example, because alternators are much better than dynamos, but they can go wrong. But it's definitely something you can change on the side of the road, as indeed the drive belt, the fan belt, or the alternator belt is a crucial element to have in the, the car. But yes, you're right, you have to draw the line somewhere, otherwise there's no room for you and your your partner in the car. So um and, and that's where regular use of the car. So, you know, if you know if you can feel that something's wrong with the clutch before you go or there's a graunching noise somewhere or there's a banging from the suspension, 
it's, it's kind of sensible to get that to get that looked at before you before you go. I mean, it's not a requirement for many of our classic car owners now, but um, I, I have tended to stick with the principle of taking my cars for an MOT. Um, whilst it's not a legal requirement, I actually like to someone else to look over my cars and look over my work once a year to make sure that all the important bits, steering, um, suspension, etc., are are all doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the car is is absolutely fit for purpose. Yeah, that's definitely a top tip. That is, and a lot of people say to me, you know, it's hard enough to find a garage in the UK that can handle a, a historic vehicle, a classic MG, let alone trying to find one when you really need one abroad but actually let's see what you think of this paul but my experience of traveling in europe in particular is that the culture is different over there in the sense that most garages are far more used to working on older cars than garages here in the uk because generally the culture within european countries is they do make do and mend older cars more frequently than we do I I would absolutely concur with that. I mean, we I have to say that I've never ventured abroad when I've had a problem into a main agent, so a VW agent or something. Um, I've always tended to be finding the independent garage, which fortunately in France and, and Italy still exists in 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 the local town or the or the bigger village. Um, but you do you do if you just spot cars around you out of the, certainly out of the cities and out of the wealthy areas like Paris. You're absolutely right. Um, there are a lot of older cars there, and pe- people don't seem to be fixated quite so much as, as on the merry-go-round of changing changing the car every two to three years. Um, and these sorts of garages, you know, they are they are adept at at, at, um, at, at working on cars of a of a wider of a wider age group. And I can only speak from experience. But when when we've ended up, you know, we had um we had a universal joint fail on a prop shaft. Um, on, a, on a Cortina when we were competing, and we piled into a little garage in Italy. And um, my Italian is, 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 other than ordering a bit of a bit of food in a restaurant, is dire. Very quickly, having taken the, the mechanic at the road for two minutes, he worked out exactly what was going on. And before we knew it, we, we were on access stands, and the prop shaft was off. Unfortunately, I had a UJ in the boot. Um, and it was done, and it was as much as I could do to press some euros into his hand. It was a, because he just loved seeing this old car. So I'm sure I'm sure people have got experiences that are not as good as that. But um, it, it certainly, yes, I haven't been. And and again, it helps if you have a working knowledge of the car anyway, and or and or a handbook in the car. I mean, I don't go very far without a workshop manual in these cars because you can't remember torque settings and all the rest. And if you go into a garage and they you know, they might well they'll, they'll almost certainly have a um, being able to be able to talk uh, talk wrench. But I mean, it's useful to have the right settings for sure. So yeah, I I, I would totally agree with you. Mm. And the other thing as well, don't underestimate, especially in France, what you can find in the supermarket because their car fours out there, uh, their motoring sections are probably bigger than most Halford sections are in this country, aren't they? Leclerc and Carrefour are amazing, um, absolutely. And um, so there, there is all sorts of all sorts of stuff uh, that you can that you can find there, and uh, that uh, that might might uh, need at least enable a, a temporary repair to keep going. I mean, there's a good place where I have found in the past these these um, cements for what I referred to earlier. You know, there's all that sort of stuff on the shelf, which I can't recall ever seeing in a, in a Sainsbury's or Tesco's here. Mm, absolutely. Well, I can put it off no longer, Paul. We're going to have to talk about it. And it's COVID and Brexit. 
what do you think? What are the considerations that we're going to have to take into account um, as we travel in this new era, really? Um, the first thing, I guess, to talk about is car insurance, isn't it? And we already know that on the on, in the main, car insurance hasn't changed much. Many of the restrictions that we had before Brexit remain in place, like not being able to stay in Europe for more than 90 days in a 180-day period. But there's this added little twist of the insurance green card now isn't there yeah um and uh in fact i'm due to have a call with our insurance broker on friday about this because we're, we're in the period of renewals as it happens for us but yes this is this is crucial because you want to make sure um that before leaving for your european trip that you absolutely understand the level of insurance that your provider um, is providing you with before departure so um, it is important. I have heard, for example, that, in, that in, there have been cases where people have got fully comprehensive cover in the UK, but actually when they're abroad, it's no better than third-party fire and theft. And it's important that, that um, having the phone call or the email with your broker or your insurance provider directly to absolutely understand that what you want to have is actually in place. And um, having a green card on top of your certificate of insurance is now going to be uh, a legal requirement for touring in Europe um, from well from now from 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 Brexit. And we have we've toured further afield over the last few years where in fact that was a requirement anyway. But it but it's absolutely essential. And um, all I would say is don't leave it to the last minute. You know if you're planning your trip in you know July or August, let's say. Um, I would be getting my green card uh, or at least asking for it to be issued well in advance of that. Now, as it happens, our insurance provider will turn them around probably in, 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 in a day or just over a day and send it by, via email. Um, but I have heard stories also where others have taken longer. So, it, again, it's back to the preparation thing. Um, and more, more important than, than ever now as well is, is um, you know, have, have breakdown insurance. Um, you know, you just, the, just the inconvenience of being taken off an auto route in France or in Germany um, can be a fairly painful experience um, in the wallet if you haven't got breakdown cover. You, you might, for example, you might well have to pay for it yourself to get taken off the, the motorway in, in France and then, and, then, and then claim it back, but you want to have that, that in place too. Um, it's all part of making the trip as pleasurable and actually not being caught out um, whilst you're on whilst you're on route. Um, I, I suspect I suspect that under the new rules, um, there are going to be the odd um, UK motorist who's going to get stopped by um, the local constabulary for a point of principle and just to check that we have all our documents in in, in order. And, and it's important that that we do absolutely have that. Um, so. Um, you know, on Petrohead's Welcomes website at the moment, we've got a suggested list, uh, checklist, for example, which you can download for, for free of all the items that we, we take and we would suggest that, that you consider taking um, alongside your green card to make the trip as easy as possible. I mean, spare bulbs, there's a, there's a myriad of rules and regs depending on where you're going in Europe, but having spare bulbs, having, having warning triangle in some countries too, having your yellow vest um, in the car with you, not in the boot, because you can get fined for stepping out of the car, going to the boot to put them on. Um, you know, all those sorts of things and many other things besides are all, um, are all on that, all on that, 
that list. And these days, it's definitely a requirement to have a GB sticker on the boot um, on, on the on the car now. That that's being reinforced because we're no longer part of the EU. Mm-hmm. Well, it's about knowing the rules of the country where you are going to, and that's where Petrolheads Welcome as a website can help find all the information you need. Um, COVID then, Paul, I mean, we are all just guessing at this as we go through, aren't we, and working out how best we deal with it. We just can't plan anything currently. But how has it, the, the hotels that you're, you're aware of on the site, how has it affected them and, and what are they putting in place for people that do want to book with them and how are they dealing with the possibility of cancellations? Well, um, at, the, um, at the moment, um, certainly my, my understanding is because we are, we are due to do an event um, in May um, in, in France we're on a rally. And at the moment, the hotels that are, that are, are being used for that event, um, organized by a third party, are actually still officially closed. I understand that um, there's no scheduled date at the moment uh, for hotels and pubs and restaurants to open in France, to reopen in France. So um, the, the straight answer is that, and it's not overly, overly helpful, I'm afraid, Wayne, but it is at the moment play it, play it by ear. I mean, we are, our first event was due at the end of March, beginning of April, and that's already been, understandably, it's been cancelled. What no one's clear on at the moment is, is what other countries' requirements will be to prove of vaccination or otherwise. There, there, are, there have been rumours around that, you know, it'll be a requirement to travel um, that you can prove, although, um, you know, who, who knows? I've, I've not been through the vaccination programme yet, so uh, I've, I've no direct experience. Um, but I've also heard, I've also heard rumours that um, travel insurance providers may, may want um, proof that you've been vaccinated in order to make sure that your travel insurance is valid if, if you become ill with COVID abroad. Um, because from what we're understanding, that the, you, can still, you can still become ill even having been vaccinated, but fortunately, um, you know, the illness should be, should be a, a no, nowhere near as severe. But if you are ill and you're te- you, know, you want to make sure you've got personal cover for you as well as having the car properly covered. But the, um, it, is early, it is very early days. And we, well, from what we see in the press, um, many countries in Europe are in fact behind us in terms of rolling out the vaccination program. Um, and I've yet, um, not yet been able to find some clear, clear advice in terms of uh, what will be required of us to travel to um, to destinations that is, uh, in previous years, you know, we'd have simply done our preparation, booked our ferry, booked the hotels on Petra's welcome, and gone. Mm-hmm. Well, all we can do in the meantime, then, is plan our great adventures and uh, dream of the places where we want to take our MGs in the future. And your tips, really, for using Petrol Heads Welcome, then, to plan those journeys. Obviously, you've bought the maps. They're spread out on the table. What next, Paul? Well, I mean, I think... Um, you know, most, most people will have have a, already have an inkling for for a region or or a particular destination. Let's say it might be that you're going to a, a, a classic car meet abroad. Maybe it's Le Mans Classic, as I say. Maybe it's Poe. Maybe it's Angoulême. They're very popular for, with 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 the, the the British car owners to go and do. Um, and it's about you know, are you going there and back? Are you are you building it as as the mid weekends, for example, of a two week stint? And what else would you like to see? So the guidebooks, are, as always, are very useful in terms of, you know, the, you may not want it all to be focused around, around motoring. There may be other things that you want to take in. Um, 
uh, France, particularly with the food and the wine and, and the, uh, the, the historical uh, artifacts and so on, there's lots of things to build into that into that trip of which the car fits in beautifully. Um, so it is about it's about sitting down and, and planning. And we, as you all, I mean, there are days when you have transit days when we've had you know 400 plus mile days in a classic car. I wouldn't want to do that every day by any means, but we have, if you're transiting from one area to another, that sometimes happens. We tend to book on uh, on 150-ish miles, 175 miles on a typical day. In order that, it is a holiday. If it's an endurance rally, it's a totally different thing. If it's a, if it's a holiday, so you can, you know, you're relaxed, the car is not running hard all day long, there's plenty of time to stop and see things and enjoy the ambience in the countryside. So, um, our experience has been to put forward to, to work that out. Now, of course, you know, Google Maps and other other tools these days are very helpful in in doing that. Um, although sometimes they want to point you down an auto route, which is not the best form of uh, of getting from A to B with a classic car. It's taking the D roads in France and things, and and, and enjoying the, the the country for what it is, rather than just the the 130 kilometer an hour experience down the auto route. So, it's. You know, looking at looking at transits, looking at breaking the journey, um, try and take in things that interest you or your other half. I've always found it beneficial that you keep the co-pilot happy with seeing things on route, Wayne, as well as well as me, if you know what I mean. Um, so that's that's always been important because it's 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 your other half's holiday every bit as much as uh, as, as it is ours. Um, so that that sort of thing. So 150 to 200 mile stints per day. Um, and I'm not always moving on every day. Um, it can get a little tiresome packing and unpacking the car every day. When we're doing regularity events and things that you and I have done, then that's part and parcel of it. But So we, we very often stay uh, a couple of nights in a place and you do a sort of a, an out and back type route and take in something particular on a day or even just having a day not in the car, um, depending on, on, on what your, your plans are. There's no need to obviously to be in the car for every day for a, for a nice touring holiday um it's um it, it, it is it, it's all the better for um a little outline planning i i used to go quite a lot without worrying about where i was going to stay tonight um i think as you get a little older you have having the certainty of that you've got a room booked for the night and that the car's parked up somewhere securely um is more important today than when i was in my 20s um, but um, yeah, it's not about having a complete uh, prescriptive, but it is about having a, a, a good outline itinerary. Um, that's um, and we tend to lodge that itinerary with uh, a friend or family member at home as well, so that they they've got an idea in terms of uh, our, our where where our our endpoint is every night and the name of the hotel and the phone number. Um, you know, mobile phones are great for communication. Although one of the other things that we must watch for now as is, is touring in Europe is that I understand that the regulations that governed um, the roaming charges of uh, of, uh, of mobile phones um, may now not be in place since we've left um, Europe. So it'll be interesting to know what what's happening on the mobile phone front. But certainly we've always lodged that outline itinerary with a with a family member so they've got some idea in terms of where our destination is and what we're doing in case there's any any need from a, a contact point of view but those are the, those are the basic things but making sure you have time to enjoy the venues that you're getting to 
um, but also um, I'm, I'm thinking about the routes. It's a lovely thing to lay out a map and say, do you know what, we're going to drive some of the, some of the, uh, the Alps. Okay, well, which particular bits, which particular passes do you want to do that fit in with the general route that you're taking in? Those sorts of things make, make, it, make it fun. And, of course, Google Maps and many of these things are on YouTube now, so you can get an indication of the, the quality of the tarmac because it does vary um, from, from, on some of these passes, as we both know. Um, and it's just, it's just, again, part of the preparation, but also the fun. Mm, absolutely. Well, hopefully we've inspired you to go and take your MG somewhere exciting when we're all allowed out to play. Uh, and if people are maybe struggling with a bit of... Uh, information or inspiration on where to go paul what share with us one of your hidden gems somewhere that people perhaps might not have heard of that you would recommend to go to for a trip oh you put me on the spot now but, <laughs> um i i mean we we're great lovers of we're great lovers of france and particularly the the, the uh um the eastern side of france so these days we we tend not to be overly fascinated by the by the coast but we we always find that a, a great first night um, is is the Champagne region. Um, it's you know even if you don't like uh, like the fizz, the countryside there and the little villages um, uh, with the, with all the vineyards dotted around is a spectacular place. It's also um, it is very popular with historic rallying as a starting point. So you can you can jump on the Euro um, Euro Tunnel um, or Dover Calais Ferry. And um, you can be in the Champagne region in, in any classic car in, in half a day. Um, and that, that, that might be just a bit of a, a, a transit-type trip. And in that example, it is worth using the auto routes because unless you're in peak uh, time of late July, early August, it's still a very pleasant bit of tarmac to use. So down to Rem. Um, and um, Rem or, or Trois uh, is also a great place, T-R-O-Y-E-S. Um, is a great transit point then to head east across into the mountains. Um, we love um, we love some of the passes. We love going through the old rally routes of Gap, places like Gap, fantastic. And down through some of the passes, down towards the Corniches, which is above Monaco in, in Nice and so on. Stunning bit of motoring history, that region. Um, fairly rurally populated, great, great driving roads, great scenery. Um, and um, doing your homework, you can pick out um, some bits of the, the old um, rally routes from the 50s and 60s, so directly attributable to the cars that, that many of us will be in. Um, and uh, there's, you know, they have, those, those, those roads haven't changed one bit, and there's a lot of history associated with them. Um, is really nice things to really nice things to do, um, and to, to aid with your planning, we've got um, all sorts of other venues on Petrohead's Welcome now. So there are lots of museums, many of them very small, um, that um, that, uh, that you can put, uh, put into your into your um, your route plan, um, so that you can take in some other interesting things on route. But that that part of the world, Wayne, is special for me. It's uh, it, it is, and no matter what the weather, you know the, that scenery always has something to offer. Brilliant. Well, that's got us all looking at the maps now, and uh, hopefully uh, you've got some ideas of some trips that you would like to take in your MG as well. And if you do, use the website. It's at petrolheadswelcome.com. Loads of great tools for planning your trips on there. And as Paul has explained, some really interesting hotels that you know you can book with confidence because they are, as the name suggests, 
welcome for petrol heads and classic car drivers like us. So do hope that's inspired you to take your MG abroad and on further trips in the future when we're all allowed out. And uh, thanks so much for joining us, Paul Gerin, and explaining all of that. Bit of pleasure, Wayne, as always. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.com. Dot UK.